Welcome to the Cabin Culture Podcast, where we spend a little more time diving deeper into all the fun parts of cabin culture. We like to think of this as both the material and imagined expressions of how cabin lovers, dwellers, builders, designers, and dreamers wish to live a more simple and authentic life. All right, I'm going to start by setting the scene a little bit. Mostly just to explain all the weird sounds you're going to hear. But we are sitting around a campfire outside our family camp at Sebec Lake. We have Sean, me, and then my twin sister, Cheryl, who is part owner of the camp and joining us for an episode of the podcast tonight. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. It's awesome to be here. Sean doesn't have a mic, so we're trying to share, but we'll see how that goes. Cheryl. So good to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. I've never done a podcast before. And guys, she's never listened to this podcast before, so I think she's in for some surprises. (laughs) What is this podcast that we're doing? (laughs) So, Cheryl, take us back. This is is called the Cabin Culture Podcast. Okay, got it. The Cabin Culture Podcast. I thought I was on the armchair experts. Oh, I wish. So I want you to take us back to your history with cabin culture. That one, you would own a house with us, and two, you'd be sitting here tonight with us. Um, Well, it's interesting hearing you call it cabin culture because I don't even think of myself as ever having a history with cabins. I always think of it as camps because of growing up, coming up to Maine. And in Maine, all the, usually the lake houses are called camps, not cabins. So a lot of people would consider them cabins, but it's just Maine language to call them a camp. So I don't even think of us as owning a cabin. Yeah, and for those who've listened to past episodes, Tyler Tuttle is a great example of this. His is definitely a cabin, but he calls it Camp Tuttle, and it's on a lake in Maine. So I do think there's something to that vernacular of being specific to Maine. I'd be curious to hear from other folks how far it extends beyond Maine. There's another one of those sounds. With my headphones, I can hear the mosquito literally buzzing around one of our microphones. Oh, really? Yeah, I just heard it. Wow, it picks up sound real easily. Yeah, and we have about 30 mosquitoes all around us right now, so <laughs> I predict that won't be the last mosquito we're going to hear out here tonight. I watched Sean literally take a bath in whatever bug spray that was earlier, and then like two seconds later, I could taste it in my mouth. Mm. The perks of cabin culture. So that is interesting to hear it broken down that way, because I also, I would agree, I think growing up, aside from our family history camping, which in retrospect now never involved a cabin, it involved like a family camper. But I do think there's a lot of things that we learned there and at camp up in Maine that are like part of cabin culture. No, wait, you just said family camper. Do you mean like an RV? Like a pop-up camper where you, yeah, you kind of like wheel it out and the the top pops up and the two sides go out where you put little mattresses and sleep. That was owned by your father? Uh, my mom and dad owned it. Sean, I hate to tell you this, but we actually had the option to take it from my dad when he moved out of the house in Harrisburg. Eight months ago. Could have right. been yours. You did right not to let me know because it would be in our driveway right now. Yes, along with four other vehicles that need to be worked on and are currently not <laughs> operable. So I made an executive decision on that one. But that is, we would grow up in a lot of our vacations that I can remember. We're visiting family, going up to the family camp in Maine, and camping with some friends of mom and dad's. Yeah, and it's funny because I remember when we were growing up and people would say, where'd you go for summer 
over the summer? What'd you do this summer? And we used to say, oh, we went up to camp. And everyone's like, oh, what type of camp did you go to? Was it like a a horse riding camp? Or I, I don't know, that wasn't even a thing where we lived. But yeah, like they thought Back of it as like summer camp that you went for for the day or sleepaway camp. And to us, it was like, what are you talking about? We went to camp in Maine on the lake. And so now my boys go to a summer camp and they get confused when we say, hey, we're going to go up to camp. And they're like, what, what do you mean? Our day camp or the lake? Be more specific. <laughs> right, exactly. And that was never hard for us because we never went to overnight camp or summer camp. Right. We were always just home during the summer until we came up to Maine and would literally go to camp. Yeah, so we didn't really understand the day camp no. scene. No, so we didn't have that confusion. Yeah. That was your kind of history with cabins specifically. <laughs> I'm kind of also curious about your history with Airbnbs and rentals because that's part of this camp when we went in on it. There were a lot of reasons for that, which we can get into, but part of it was the thought that we would rent it. And I know that was newer for you, but I actually don't think I even know how much interaction you had had with Airbnb or rental properties at that point. Yeah, not a, not a ton. I mean, it's certainly not on the hosting side to any degree. All of my interaction with Airbnb to any capacity has been renting. And we would rent when we traveled with friends, when we travel with the kids. Um, and I'd say probably for the last like five to seven years, that has been our primary means of like traveling and staying places. Um, so I at least knew from a guest perspective what the experience was like and what I looked for. But I think the hosting idea, and I'm not doing the hosting, I'm just owning a property with someone that is hosting it, um, is, was a little bit more intimidating. It yeah. just feels like there was so much more to it and so many little details that I knew I thought about or cared about as a guest. And then I'm like, how do you logistically make that happen when you're hosting? Um, so it's been kind of a new venture. And I'm certainly a little bit more high strung than you are. So I think about all the little details that we don't have to worry about because you already have it figured out. Why don't Why don't you give me an overview for folks who don't know? Because I introduced you as my sister. I can't remember if I said that you were my twin sister. And we're the only two. We have no siblings. So it was just the two of us and mom and dad. Uh, why don't you paint a picture of our twin dynamic <laughs> for the people? Okay. For the people. Um, so we are twins. We are fraternal twins. And so we look absolutely nothing alike. Um, Janice, as most of you know, is kind of blondish. She's about five foot four, blue eyes. I'm five, eight, brown hair, brown eyes. Um, so we look completely different and personality wise, I'd say we're pretty much on the opposite end of the spectrum. And you have always been more of the creative type, the like I said in the wedding toast, I said, you always have the mentality of why not. And I always have the mentality of why. So I'm more risk averse. You are more looking for the upside of things and the fun in it and the challenge in it. And I'm looking for the what could go wrong here. And are we willing to take that that risk? Which has been interesting to observe how that plays out. We've We've worked together once in a business perspective over COVID. Wait, tell people what you do for work first. Right. So I am, I'm in marketing. I've been with the same company for, gosh, it's been 16 years now. Um, and so for most of my career, I've always done different types of marketing, but mostly product marketing. Um, and so I've worked on different product lines um, and for big, big companies. I worked for Rubbermaid. I now work for a company called Essity. It's a $14 billion company. So I've always been in big corporate America versus your entrepreneurial life for the last 
eight years, ten yeah. years. Yeah, and you have a degree in marketing, so you are, like, well-qualified on the marketing side. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to school for it. I have a, a business degree and then a master's degree and been doing it most of my life, or adult life, so... Yeah. I find that so interesting because dad was in business for our whole lives, too. You went into business. I went, like, the opposite direction, poli-sci, women's studies, and then went into teaching and somehow ended up back in business, too. Yeah, I think about that sometimes. I don't know that there's, like, a direct connection that led to that, but it is interesting that you two are very qualified and good in-house resources. So, go ahead. But it's interesting seeing it from different sides because I've always seen it where I'm one player in this big machine, um, and it means you have different resources available to you, but it also means that your impact sometimes can feel smaller because you're one of thousands of people working somewhere. Um, so it's interesting then to see you run your own business and understand all the small details. Of <laughs> That's um, the septic pump from the basement Not of the our septic camp. Pump, the sump pump. The sump pump. The sump pump. <laughs> That's the sump pump because we have a basement right on the lake at the camp. And the wetter it is, so when there's rain, it like pumps out the basement, which is great. It like protects the structural integrity of the camp. And we like to call it our water feature. But every once in a while, it just dumps water in a funneled place to get it out of the basement. Okay, sorry, you can continue. You were talking about seeing oh, it from different yeah, yeah, sides. It's just interesting to see it from a different perspective where you see the smaller business where you're doing all the different aspects of running a business, whereas I'm only maybe touching one small part of it because we have departments that cover all the other areas. Yeah, yeah, though I can see you starting to dip your toes into the marketing side. And I do think the more you play with that, the more fun you might have with it because it is mm-hmm. taking all the things that you know already on a high level and then thinking about how do I translate this in a very localized level for one business, one property, but same mindsets, I would, I would guess. I don't know. Cause I have no degrees yeah, and in just marketing. Using different tools, using different tools, yeah. different ways of accessing a different audience than what I'm used to. But the whole, all the principles, the foundational elements of how you market are still the same. Yeah. But it's still a big learning curve because I've never used social media in my current business job to market. Another group does that. So it's interesting seeing how you make it work for Cozy Rock and then doing that for Cozy Camp and then having some interest in figuring that out. Yeah. Yeah. So it this whole thing started back seven years ago now when we lost our mom and we inherited some money from her. And I think I think this is an interesting note of our personalities. I immediately, like literally, I think she died in August and in September was looking at cabins in Boone because that was something I'd always dreamed of and had a very modest savings account titled my log cabin savings account. But it had like literally probably like $1,500 in it at that point. So it was like a, in 20 years, if I save a little bit every month, I will eventually be able to buy one. So immediately put my money into buying a cabin. Mm -hmm. And I know that family members didn't have the same excitement about that that I did. I'm curious, like when I told you that's what I was going to do, what was your first reaction? Why? (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't any part of you, though, that saw the appeal of like, I'm sure Um, I sent you a video or something of it. Yeah, no, I I think, and this is where I think it's interesting because it does completely highlights our personality differences. Because if I get money... I squirrel it away. I'm saving it. I'm figuring out how you get that money to work for you and and do more with it. But then on the flip side, our mom had always said, oh, well, you know, someday I hope that we can have a vacation home somewhere, that we can do these certain things. And then she never had the opportunity to. And so I think that was a good lesson for me 
to recognize that, yes, it is good to have a safety net and what that safety net looks like to each of us is different. Um, But you do have to sometimes live a little bit more in the moment and recognize that maybe the safety net doesn't have to be as big and the joy that we're going to get from something like having a family camp together or a family cabin together is far beyond that extra cushion that might be put in the safety net as a result. So at the time I said, why, why would you do that? That sounds like so much work. It's so expensive. And now I completely understand why. And I see the joy that it brings. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. The perspective about like watching mom be frugal our whole life saving and she would talk about retirement a lot and travel was very important to her. And she did travel with us she during her life. a lot, yeah. Yeah. And part of that was dad's job because we lived in Japan for a little bit. And then when we were in college, they moved to Munich for his job. And she really made the most of those trips. But growing up, we never, prior to going to Japan, never took extravagant trips anywhere ever. It was always Disney was a big one with grandma and grandpa. Disney. And we went to California a few times. Oh, that I remember once. Trip yeah, that world. was a big trip. Yeah. But mostly it was Maine in the summer and yeah. then, you know, going to Florida in the winter to see grandma and grandpa or go to Disney World or something like that. Yeah. But for the most part, she, you know, the money was saved. And then seeing, oh, wait, there's this world in which you might not make it to retirement. So figuring out that balance of saving conservatively enough that you can have a retirement because we all want to have one. Mm-hmm. And then also not like not ex- like limiting yourself from a lot of good experiences. But we, I think, have been fortunate to see multiple perspectives of that because we have mom who did not get to enjoy retirement. And then we had a grandfather who died when he was 99. And so yeah. he had this long retirement. But then that to me was a good example of like, you, you may live till you're 99 or 100. And so you need to have the cushion to live the life that you want up until that point. That's so funny because obviously I spent a lot of time with Grampy and I've never once thought about that as a lesson to be learned (laughs) from Grampy was, although Sean and I have talked about that, like, you know, if we don't have kids, then the best case scenario is that we literally cash our last check like the day before we die. Right. But it's like, oh, that's what he always says. That's what he always says. He wants his last check to bounce. It is like a game figuring out. Trying to figure out like, hey, I want to live this type of lifestyle and you know if I need assisted care I want it to be of this quality and so I need to plan for that but yet I also want to travel and own places to travel to and whatnot so how do you balance that and nobody knows how much time they have. I think that's one of the reasons why Airbnb was so interesting to me when I first discovered it and I think likewise to other people who went into hosting. Travelers there's a whole nother benefit but from the hosting side I think what it allowed me to think about in that moment was that same game, like knowing that I wanted to be financially responsible and have a retirement, all of that, but being like, you know, the stock market is risky and boring, Mm -hmm. maybe not that risky, depending on how you invest, but real estate can also be risky, but way less boring. And I was like, what if I use this money as a down payment? Because it wasn't enough money to buy a log cabin, but let's say I use it on the down payment and then I rent it. And so I actually can keep a big chunk of that money and other people can pay the mortgage. I can have a cabin that I've wanted years and years earlier and then also be able to pay it off. That was my first thought before hosting. Now, very early on, I really enjoyed the hosting side and seeing other people enjoy it was beneficial. But initially it was like, OK, I'm working the system. I am playing the game effectively right yeah, now. Yeah. But I think this is what's so unique about the Airbnb and, and you could say the, the VRBO model too is that so for some people who have a desire to own a place 
like you did, but maybe don't have the financial means to obviously outright buy it or to even cover that mortgage ongoing, you can do it by allowing other people to use the house and experience it. But then on the flip side, people that never want to have to deal with maintaining a second property, but they want to experience it as though they kind of have their own little slice of that place, they can do that. And so it's like a win-win for all the different interests that are out there. Right. And as a traveler can go two ways. You can go back to the same cabin every year. And we're finding that with the one in Sebec. It's a place that we come back to every year. And we've had guests now coming for their second year. We've only owned it for two years, but had been here before us. And then we're able to see like, oh, wow, there were some improvements. So they don't have to think about it through the rest of the year. They don't have to do any maintenance, but then they get to think of it as like, oh, our our little place in Sebec for the one or two weeks of the summer that they go there. That's right. And it's essentially the same experience that we've had growing up and coming here for two weeks every summer. Well, and the other benefit of it too is like, I think your experience with Airbnb or rentals was with a bunch of your friends you went to the Finger Lakes every year. That was one of them. Yeah. And I don't, as far as I know, you never stayed at the same place every time. No. So if you don't own, it also lets you go back to a location that you know you like and right. try out different spots and not have to be committed to the same spot. I think there's value in both, but that's been one of the reasons Andy and I, Andy's my husband, um, we love owning this place with you guys, but have no desire to own another place because in some ways you feel a little bit like, you need to come visit and stay at that place. And then that means you only have so much time to go travel places. You don't go somewhere else. And so we want the balance of going new places with the kids, but then also having this place that's ours that they grow yeah. up going to. Yeah. And I would say that we struggle with that a little bit now yeah. just because we, between the three houses, struggle to fit in other trips that we might want to take. It's hard to hit the key places and then have extracurricular activities mixed in there yeah and we talk about that all the time like oh we want to go to ireland we want to go to this and then we look at our calendar and we're like well we go to cozy rock for a week here and then we go to jj's birthday party here and then we go to camp for two weeks Mm -hmm. here and like how do you fit and we love all those places so we don't feel sad about it there's only so much time in a year and then you look back and you're like wait like if we do this every year then are we missing out on those bigger trips because we did luckily make that happen this year for our honeymoon kind of pushed us to go to Argentina and we had so much fun. We were like, why don't we do? Oh yeah. And we went skiing. Maybe I'm wrong and then. you're going skiing next year, right? I don't know. So then that's what you thought when I bought the first one, when I told you I was buying land, which happened after grandma and grandpa died and left some yeah. money. And so my immediate thought again was okay, not, and I do like to clarify. It's not like I immediately say, what can I buy? I tend to say, what can I I don't, I don't actually think I use these words in my brain. I think I'm just like, ooh, what's the next adventure? But it is more like, what can I invest in? I don't actually mm. buy, like spend a lot of money, but I do invest in things that are a bit more tangible than what most people invest in. Yeah. So it seems like, I, I don't know. I do think it, it's viewed differently because we have no idea how much money someone has in a 401k or a stock market. But right. people tease me for having four houses. Because yeah, you can see that and people can put a dollar value on that. So when you found out that I was looking at land to buy for Cozy Rock, what were your thoughts then? Why? <laughs> really? It was there wasn't any part of you that like now knew why because you had oh, seen it done. Oh man, I don't, I don't, I don't actually remember my conscious thoughts of it. But I thought, boy, one, that's a lot of work. Two, <laughs> there's a decent amount of risk in this. Um, and I just, I mean, 
out of these two different scenarios, what did I do with any money I inherited? I squirreled it away. And it does make me smile a little bit thinking about what you guys did with Cozy Rock because our grandmother, anytime she would give us any money for a birthday, if she sent us like $20 for a holiday or something, and she would always say, don't save it, Cheryl. Spend it on something and tell me what you spent it on because she knew my natural inclination would be to save it. So I'd have to like call her and tell her like, hey, grandma, I bought these cool pair of shoes with it. Here's what they look like. Meanwhile, she was probably writing me letters and being like, uh, fingers crossed, please save this, Janice. <laughs> exactly. Put it in your piggy no bank. Need to spend it right away, Janice. <laughs> save it for a rainy day. Yeah. Um, so I think that she probably was smiling, laughing a bit and also seeing that something that her and grandpa created and were able to pass down to you was put into something that you had a true passion and love for and in a place that her Mm -hmm. family is so strongly tied to and mom's family so strongly tied to. I did think about that a lot during the Cozy Rock build of just one, how much mom would have loved the process of the build. Like she would have been there. We spent a weekend clearing the land and for sure mom would have insisted on being there wearing her Kubota, her pink Kubota hat that Uncle Rick gave her and hauling logs with everyone else. Like even if she was like going through chemo, because it feels like for the last seven years of her life, she was undergoing treatment of some kind. But even with that, I could see her like with her right like leg limping and chemo and still wanting to like in there doing all the projects no matter what was going on. Yeah. My first reno, I think I remember she had cancer during that reno. And she would still come up. She built the deck on that house. She tore down all of the drywall along with dad and a couple friends. Shout out to Bill and Lauren. Um, and did all this ugly work while undergoing treatment. And I just, I think she would have enjoyed the process of the build. And I think grandpa would have really enjoyed that it was in Maine. Because grandpa always, his heart was always in Maine. And grandpa always, grandma always kept them in New York. Mm, yeah. And I think he would have liked, he knew that yeah. I loved Maine, but I think he would have liked seeing some and he moves. would have been there right alongside oh, doing yeah. that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he was getting older, but I remember when Corey built his house, we'd sit outside and like pick the crabgrass. That was like what he could do. And he felt mm-hmm. like he was making the lawn better. And grandma would have been sitting by that burn pile talking everyone's ear off whenever we Keeping took a break. Keeping everyone entertained. That's right. <laughs> or distracted. It might have mm-hmm. made us less one, productive. One of those. Yeah. But I think... That project felt like Boone wasn't special to anyone in my family but me, but this one felt really, I think grandma would have enjoyed that it kept our family together too. And it really built a relationship with Sean and the family there because he didn't know them before, barely at all. So much time spent together and time spent working on something, working towards something. Well, and I think that Sean can speak to this, but I think that built your relationship with Uncle Rick because I think Uncle Rick deeply respects people who are just willing to get their hands dirty and get some work done. We're hoping to get him on the podcast, so stay tuned. And I think you showed up that very first weekend and did that for four days. I got yelled at by Rick the first time. That was we we certainly Ooh, did. Do? We bonded. I uh, I got distracted and I was cutting tree cookies. Oh, and he and he let me know that I can cut tree cookies on my own time. <laughs> <laughs> Why because Janice knew that at some point she wanted a tree cookie wall for the cabin that was yet to be built. So I was. So did he? He deem that I as was like taking, that small trivial. I was work taking that, samples. Yeah. Oh. Meanwhile, I was over there being like, "Ooh, Sean, these trees we should save because I think they're the right size for a tree cookie wall." You know, <laughs> a year down the road. So he was cutting samples to see if it was hardwood and if it would hey, work. But what's in Cozy Rock now? A I tree know. Cookie wall. I think that tree cookie wall is a win. But that was that was not. And to Uncle Rick's point. 
I will give him and Corey a ton of credit. They donated so much time over the weekend, their equipment, their time, and were there right alongside us leading the way, cutting down trees and dragging them around. And so honestly, when people are donating that kind of time to your project, you say thank you. And if you don't like what I'm doing, I'll do you whatever say, you want me to do. cookies another time. That's right. Okay, so let's go to the purchase of Cozy Camp because that's the project that I think is really interesting to talk about because it's my first project that is shared. So I had done, my first reno was the house that I lived in. Then I bought Boone. Then we built Cozy Rock. And then this one came right on the heels of Cozy Rock. I can't actually remember whose idea was it. How did it start? So, okay, long, long time ago, you and I have always kind of like very casually talked about like, oh, if if the camp next to the Warren camp comes up for a sale, we would buy that. Or, and I mean, I'm talking like, we talked about this when we were like high school or teenagers or something. Right. And this is to give context. The Warren camp is the family camp that our great, great, great grandfather, I think is who built it. And it's been passed down in our family. We grew up coming here every summer. Our grandpa owned it. Grandma and grandpa owned it at that point. Then it got passed down to our uncle. My mom passed away. So they were brother and sister. It got passed down to him. So it's been in our family for many generations. It's where we have come our whole life. That's the connection. So that's the Warren camp. So then I think the four of us had kind of, you know, when we came up here for summers the last few years, kind of, you know, joked about that or whatever. Not completely seriously but I think there was always part of us that was a little bit serious and then I remember it was Sean that found the listing and sent it to the group and said hey this just came up for sale and he said something in the text that kind of indicated it was a little bit like in jest and then I responded like we should look at this and so then that's when I think you took it and was like okay the we might be serious about this and Sean and I pushed Andy and Janice a little bit on this (laughs) well it was safe to say, oh, you know, someday we'll buy that one because they never come up for sale. Right. And and it was like 2 a.m. on a Tuesday, and it just so happened that it was a camp for sale on the same side as the family camp. And how often does that happen? So we have to, but Janice was hard no. The dust had barely settled on Cozy Rock, and she dug her heels in the mud of absolutely not, no more projects. She was and, really resistant. And, and, and we said, yes, we hear you. We're not, that doesn't matter. We're doing this. Uh, yeah, because Andy was resistant too, because he's been super clear the whole way through that, like, he loves it up here, but he's not going to invest the time in running a rental or anything. So both Janice and Andy were like, no. And I guess Sean and I are just pretty convincing. I think, I mean, I was very resistant. Like you said about the last two your first thought was, well, that seems like a lot of work. And I had just come off the build of Cozy Rock, which, you know, looking back now, two years later and hearing from so many folks on the podcast and otherwise, our build was actually like pretty seamless. Like our builder, my cousin Corey, was amazing to work with. We had zero hiccups that weren't like weather related or town bureaucracy COVID related. And even those were relatively minor. But even when builds go well, it's still stressful. There's so many decisions. There's so much that has to be done. And I had just come out of it and was like, you know, kind of celebrating at home. Like this next year is the year of rest. We just get to enjoy the cabin. And like, and so literally that was in August. We got home from Cozy Rock and camp and we're just settling down. Oh, and also, by the way, we had just gotten engaged. So guess who was in charge of planning a wedding? On top of running a business at home and two other rental properties at that point. So keep in mind, I'd only run one rental up until that point. Now I had two on my plate, didn't know what that was going to be like. 
And literally, this was like October. Yeah. Cheryl and Sean had this idea, and I was just like, "Hard no, I can't do it. I don't but even know what, what it's like what to run too." Say yes. I think the biggest thing is that I've learned we have a really small family. And what I learned from mom's death, I started coming up to Maine more often. That's really when I became reconnected to Maine. I've come here every summer and I've always loved it for the summers. But when mom died, I started coming up four times a year, once each season to see grandma and grandpa because grandma obviously Mm -hmm. did not take mom's death well and started to realize there was this one moment I was, I've told you this before, but I was at Corey and Anna's house and grandma and grandpa were there and all of a sudden my cousin's wife was teasing my grandpa about Raisin Bran and some joke about Raisin Bran. And I'm banana, sitting there. Something about And, and how he opens his bananas. Every... Right. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> I don't get this joke. I'm the outsider. And mm-hmm. and everyone else gets it. And I was like, and the reason why isn't because I don't have good relationships with them. It's just time and proximity. That's all it is. Is just the more space you share with people, the more you get to know them and it happens organically and it's not like a big catch up session. It's just like, and even then it's like, maybe it's only once a month even, but at this point I was seeing them four times a year and even that wasn't much. Mm -hmm. And you had two kids and I obviously love Lucas and Joshua. And I started realizing that that would be our family. If we didn't intentionally, we're never probably going to live in the same area. And so if we didn't intentionally spend that time together, what would we miss in each other's lives? And I thought if we shared a space it would bring us together. And I mean, honestly, that very month when we did all the work or the week that we all came here and set it up was a good example of that, I think. It was such a fun, I mean, it was a hard week, but it was such a fun week. And even the time leading up to when we actually came here and moved everything in and set it all up, we spent months where the four of us were on Zoom calls or talking through things that we never would have like been talking to each other to that degree or at least not the four of us you and I talk all the time but it's not like Andy and Sean are on the phone all the time well and that was what was really interesting and I I think it might be interesting to talk about the dynamics during the planning the renovation and that because I don't think a lot of people work in teams but for those that do or are thinking about it that's not to say I think we've like got it all figured out but I just think it's interesting to Mm -hmm. think about But we did have to early on decide what each of our four roles were for being me, Cheryl, and then our husbands, Sean and Andy. And we had to decide what those looked like in two different phases, in the phase of getting the house ready and set up and then operating the house on an ongoing basis. And that shifted as we moved into that. I remember you being overjoyed one particular moment when we're sitting at home and I'm texting and we were to the phase where we were planning getting all the furniture up, the logistics of moving everything. And Cheryl and I were texting. She, you look over and say, you know, who are you texting? I was like, well, it's your sister. We're trying to figure this out. And you, it just blew you away that you had no idea that you we could have a partner that was going to be just, yeah. <laughs> and then I, it was Sean and I that drove up to Maine yeah. before everybody else. And he drove the U-Haul and I drove his truck. <laughs> And yeah. Spend like a and day. honestly, I was so anti the purchase to begin with that I had really strong boundaries at the beginning around what I would do and wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. So you all had said, you know, you were doing the majority of the the work during that due diligence period. And I was like, if we get it, I'll do the design and I'll like take the lead on that. Right. But that was it. So during that phase, it was really just the two of you carrying most of the weight. Yeah, because I, I don't 
and this, I mean, could be a lesson learned for people that want to embark on something similar is I don't know if we actually sat down at the onset and were super intentional about saying, okay, Cheryl, here are the things you're going to take on. Sean, here are the things you're going to take on. It just kind of happened. And that was also part of my type A personality and just like caring about a lot of the details. But we did do that when we talked about ongoing hosting it and have been super intentional about, okay, Sean has these things to do. Cheryl's doing these annual things other than that step out of the day to day. And here's what Janice is doing. Well, and I think what's been helpful along the way is that at the beginning and throughout the way, we've done a pretty good job of protecting our boundaries of like what is non-negotiable for us. And even at the very beginning, Andy was like, I want absolutely nothing to do with the reno or the hosting or any of that. Um, I will contribute financially and I will vote on big decisions and that's it. And he was really clear about that and has stuck to it, which is really helpful because sometimes people state boundaries and then all of a sudden want to get involved and that gets tricky. And he hasn't done that at all. And I did have a strong boundary at the beginning and stuck to it because I just literally didn't have the bandwidth at that point energetically. And that, I think, helped during that phase. So it was then just you and Sean. You both really wanted this house, so you were figuring out how do we get through this process. And in some ways, I think that simplified it a little bit because four people all doing things and all really actively wanting to do things can get a little bit tricky if you aren't I think very, so very intentional. Two, it, it's more manageable. Yeah, and I think it did get tricky when we moved into the hosting stage just for a short period because we went with a property manager to begin with because I had said, again, I'm not managing three properties. I can't do it. And then very quickly, we realized that he wasn't any good. And so that was a, a moment of murky... murky. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a moment of murkiness because I think it was like, well, he's not really doing it. So we need to step in and pick up the slack. But also we're still paying him to do it. So what is this? Right. How do we fix this? I think that was a good learning for me, too, because I've never hosted or had an Airbnb before this. You guys obviously had. And so I would get very worked up about every little thing that didn't go right because I'm never done it before. So it's like, well, this is the end of the world. We won't be able to rent it. This mm-hmm. guest left a bad review. And you guys brought some perspective of like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. We'll work through this. Like here's ways we can manage it. And so I've slowly learned over the last year as well, even though I'm not in the hosting details as much. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to know what each of you, what we each have learned about each other through the renovation process and then hosting process as a team that we didn't, especially I'm as particularly intrigued by the two of you because I would say that socially you got along well before we started this but you didn't spend a lot of time together and during this I think you developed an actual relationship outside of me and so I would be curious like Sean what did you learn about Cheryl that you didn't know before that and then vice versa Cheryl why don't you start okay so I think before we uh, jumped into this endeavor I always knew that Sean was a very upbeat positive guy Um, And also like a doer, like worked with his hands, was really good, like getting projects done. But through this, I think because I, again, as we talked about earlier, tend to sometimes lead towards the pessimistic side and the feeling overwhelmed in a project like this can overwhelm you really fast. And I think Sean brought some calm and like realism to it and just some fun to it. So it... I think about when we drove up here to move everything in. We had been on the road for 10 plus hours. We pulled in at like six o'clock with a U-Haul full of 
furniture for a four bedroom house. We had no place to sleep unless we set up our beds that night. And we were up until I think two or three in the morning getting stuff done. And that could have been a miserable experience. And I remember it being so much fun. But like, I think it's because you have the positive fun attitude about it and just like, okay, let's put some music on. Let's get going. And it made it a fun experience opposed to like, oh my God, I put the wrong screw in the wrong spot. I have to undo this bed. That's going to take me another hour before I can go to sleep. (laughs) I do think that's something that you don't learn about people, even partners, like significant others or siblings until you take on a big project like that Mm -hmm. is like, what does... 12 30 in the morning look like when you're tired but there's still a lot to do you're working against a deadline we live in different states how do personalities interact and i do think for us we grew up with a strong work ethic thanks to our parents and we both get really annoyed by people who aren't able to like hang right right and i don't know if i'm trying to think if i knew that about you before we decided to get married i must have known that about you Oh, yeah, because Cozy Rock. Yeah, I guess I did know that about but you. I do think significant others react differently around each other. Like, say, had it been you and Sean in that situation, or Andrew and I, maybe wouldn't have been as chipper, even if both of us were upbeat people. And so I think it actually was a good balance. Then that's why having four of us does help balance things sometimes. And a lot of times when we've had decisions to make, or we, we of course, don't always agree on it, but I think having the four of us has helped helped balance it a bit more. Yeah. So to get to know you two, you were both extremely intimidating personalities. You're very strong, independent women. And, and knowing before I got to know Cheryl really well, that I got the more laid back of the sister going into like a a big project (laughs) with just Cheryl. Excuse you. I say that with respect and you should it like, I mean that (laughs) as a compliment. All I had known of you was mom, Cheryl and business Cheryl and, and the other sister, Cheryl, Mm. very straightforward, no nonsense. And then have fun. We get things done. You, I get you away from work and I get you away from the kids and on the road and oh, and oh shit, Cheryl cuts loose. And all right, let's let's crack some drinks and we are here to unload a truck and set up some furniture. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Who cares if it's two in the morning? There's no kids here. We're adults. This is what we're here to do. It was it was a very fun experience getting to know after hours Cheryl. Cheryl after dark. See, this is where if you got into the Enneagram numbers and you think about what Enneagram number each of us are. And I don't know why I'm like this because we grew up in a household with two very loving, stable parents. So it's not like I had to like fill a role of like stepping in to take on responsibility because it wasn't being done by parents. But I, I always act as like, oh, I'm the responsible one that has to get things done. And so until you take away those areas that you don't have to be responsible for, you don't often let loose as much, even though I don't have to be responsible for some of those things. It's just innate in my personality. In the past, I referred to it as getting Cheryl off the clock. (laughs) Although I would say the thing that I, I knew Cheryl was capable of that, what I learned about her during the process was the insane organization and follow-up. Like, I knew you were good at your job, but I haven't ever really worked alongside you in something like that. And I have felt like in most partnerships or relationships, sorry, 
partnerships or friendships or group work, I am always the responsible one. I'm always the one project managing, keeping everyone else in line, even though I'm pretty ADD and just had to learn systems from a young age because mom and dad expected a lot and I had to be successful. And my brain naturally is a bit scattered and all over. So I develop systems to like keep me in line. And I'm used to being the one who's like pretty good at that. And suddenly I had someone like, knowing when I dropped the ball something. <laughs> like you don't ever know Sean when I've dropped the ball I'm usually riding you because you've dropped the ball and and it felt it felt weird and it felt weird and like a relief like I knew that you didn't have to carry it all yeah yeah like if I dropped something it would be okay because there's someone there who would know and be able to help and that's not how I function in most of my life. And so that was But that a has been a tricky thing for you and I to figure out in this partnership because that's a nice thing. And then it also sometimes has surfaced in ways where it's like, well, are you double checking what I'm doing? Do you not trust me? Mm-hmm. Do you not think I'm going to get it done? And so finding the balance of like, hey, we're a team. So if I follow up with you on something or you follow up with me on something, it's not always to say I don't trust you. It's we're a team and we said we we're going to get to this end goal and it's like checking in, but how do you do that in a way? So it's, it's received as right. it's meant to. And it's also delivered as you're, you're right. Cause when to. I've forgotten something and dropped the ball that I'm like really grateful. And if it was something I'm on top of, then I'm you're like, irritated. yeah, duh. I already did that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you're looking over my shoulder and checking on me, but yeah. also that would make sense. Cause I have dropped the ball in other places and I am just very not used to that checks and balances. Mm-hmm mostly because I am typically in a group, the most responsible of them. So to be working alongside someone more responsible was impressive and a bit of a relief and sometimes annoying. All of it, right? All of it. If you had to describe our roles now that we've started hosting. So during the due diligence period, Cheryl did most of the work. You did like all of the inspections and dealing with our really bad realtor and like all of that stuff. All the mortgage and financial documents. And Oh my God. I forgot that you did all of that. Mm-hmm. The worst part about buying a place. And then Sean, for four people. I know. <laughs> I know. And then Sean did the like, okay, something pops up in the inspections and Cheryl's like, I don't know what this is. So then Sean would jump in and be like, okay, Let's get some quotes to see what it would cost to fix that so we can run the numbers and see if we can fit that into the budget. Sean would be the guy that I would call and say, hey, just talk to the water guy. And he said all these things that I don't understand. Can you call him and please interpret? (laughs) And then he would. And so then we came to a place where we felt comfortable closing. But even after we closed, there was still more of that because we kept discovering more stuff that we had to fix. And so I would say that's when the two of you continued to work really well on okay, here's what I've discovered we need to fix. Sean would then review the proposals we got and decide which one we were going to go with. And then as a group, we would vote once we had like all the information. And But that was really helpful having four different minds involved that brought different levels of knowledge in different areas. Because like, I don't know anything about different heating systems in Maine and what works best. And so I just listened to what the guys quoted us on, but they're trying to sell something. Sean knows a ton about it. So he can be like, hey, yeah this is really where we want to go. And it was really helpful. And then I would swoop in and be like, he pumps four remote controls in the house. You know, the number one thing that children leave with after they stay at a rental is, don't you? It's a remote control. Are we sure we want to do this? Janice would be like, do we really need heat? I think we can just add this into the design budget. <laughs> can we please permanently attach the remote controls to the walls? 
Uh, we haven't lost work. one yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> so then we started hosting. And how did we divide things up then? Once we got through the renovation and the the purchase process. Well, that's gone through phases because we started with a property manager. And I was the one that researched and talked right. to different property management companies. One of them was Vacasa, wasn't it? It was. I hear a lot about them. Yeah. And Vacasa, you know, they're a big national organization, but they're also a big national organization. So you miss the like personal touch. You miss the responsiveness. You also pay a 40% fee. And so we found someone that was more local to this region and um, worked with properties on Sebec Lake and Moosehead and was super convincing, seemed like they would be awesome. And so we moved forward with them and they were really helpful in getting things started up initially. If we had stuff shipped here that we needed help with, he'd step in. Wait, I'm going to back up just a little bit. I think to that decision-making process between those three because it was based, or I guess the there three being three. we would manage it. There might have been someone there else. There was a third one, um, but they just weren't as responsive, even with us. And so we said, if they're not even responsive trying to win the business, then how yeah. are they going to respond to guests? So and we, I wish I could say we were like really locally minded and like we want someone local because they'll be a better host. But in reality, honestly, I was so mentally overwhelmed with other stuff that I was like, I can't host this house. So we're just looking at who will do the best job for guests and be the cheapest. And that's, exactly. that's where we landed on that one. And I think it probably is fair to say that sometimes when it seems too good to be true, it is. And yeah. so this person sold us a really great story and it seemed too good to be true for the rate that they were charging us. And we ended up realizing that's because their responsiveness and their attention to detail was not at the level that we thought was acceptable and that you guys knew was feasible because you've done it. And that was the moment I was checked out on the hosting side completely of this house until I watched him do it poorly. And I think it was it was twofold. One, from a business perspective, I was like, this isn't how you get repeat business. This isn't how you run a good business. And I take pride in, in it being good. But the second piece was because we love this place so much and this was our family camp, I didn't like reading reviews about people who had bad experiences it here. Personal. It so did. personal. It felt like, no, 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 no. This is a magical place. I'm so confused. Why didn't you have a magical experience? And that was the moment, I think, that I checked back in. And probably in fairness, that was maybe the summer. I think it was the summer after and after Cozy Rock. So I'd had a full year to come down. I was hosting two. I was feeling like, okay, this is all right. Like we have good teams. I think we could take on a third. But it also, I think that was the moment when it started to feel personal that people were having experiences at camp on this lake and they weren't perfect. And since you've started hosting, I think there's been at least four or five comments in both the guest book and in reviews where people have said, Sebek is a hidden gem. It's one of the most magical and best kept secrets in all of Maine. And the reality is it, we're not doing anything special with the hosting. We are meeting the, in my opinion, the bare minimum of hosting. You know what I mean? Like we have a good guest book. Everything is, is looks and feels the way that it looks in pictures. And we respond to your messages and that's really it, right? Like there are no secrets here where we're like, Oh, well there's this very special gift bag that we give or whatever. Like, right. We don't have fresh bouquets in the house like you do at cozy rock, but I think, one, we have the lake here that brings the magic on its own. Right, exactly. And you also, you just have to meet expectations so that they're not thinking about the house. That's right. 
they are just able to enjoy the lake, the surroundings, and they don't even think about that. That's right. I honestly don't want them thinking about us at all when they're here. I want everything to be run well so that they're just enjoying this place that we know is great. And then when they go to write the review is the first time they think about us. And they're like, it was great, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what was so frustrating about the last experience. It's like exact same camp. We Everything we had supplied before is what we supply now. It was all in just how the guest book was different and the responsiveness was different. And I think that's one of the big things that I'm learning from watching the two scenarios is that the first time we had a guest that had issues with internet service, it just turned out the modem was unplugged, but it took the property manager over a day to respond. And so, of course, the guest was livid. They were only here for two and a half days. They needed internet for work. They were livid. We had a situation where we had to replace the stove. And so that could be really inconvenient for a guest. The whole oven. (laughs) The whole, the oven and the stove broke when they were here. We replaced it really quickly, but nonetheless, that's a major inconvenience. And these guests were thrilled because they just had responsiveness and communication. That's right. All because and literally all we did was just respond to their concerns and hear it and say, like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to get and then update them as we were learning what we could get done for them. Right. And it's like it was still inconvenient. And we offered them a refund before they had to ask. And I think that's important, too, is is figuring out what level of inconvenience. And this is tricky, but figuring out what level of inconvenience it was. And not making them ask for that, but proactively saying, like, hey, I acknowledge, I don't just hear you, but, like, I recognize this is a big part of a vacation. I'm going to refund you this. And if they don't think it's enough, they can always ask for more. But nine times out of ten, that person is, like, grateful that they didn't have to awkwardly ask for it mm-hmm. and they feel seen. Yeah, and it's an easy way to earn. If there's an inconvenience, it's a, it's a way to earn the guest's good grace. Yeah. And trust that we care about your experience. Yeah. I don't ever want them to think I care about our profits more than I care about their trip because number one, it's not true. All of our profits right now are reinvested back into the properties. And two, it's right. I, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what point two was. <laughs> that's, that's right. I totally lost point two. So then when we got rid of, I almost said his name, when we got rid of our property manager, then how did okay so what basically that's where we're at now what does our current breakdown of response if we each had to have a job title what would our job titles be my job title is annual maintenance manager i don't know that's completely made up but i only do the things that happen like once a year or once every two or three years we get our water system service once a year I'm the person that has the contact with the water guy. We have to pump the septic every, let's say, two, three years, depending on how many guests we have. I'm the one that does that. So that for my type A personality that doesn't deal well in stress, I can plan that out. There's not unexpected things there. I'm really good at the follow-up. And that's my job. Yep. Sean, what's yours? As always, I'm Mr. Sean the Handyman. I've got sawdust over here from fixing the handrail tonight. I would say you're head of property maintenance for JS Rentals as a whole. You do the same role for all the properties, which is basically you're the expert about any decisions that have to be made about like mechanical operations or whatever. And then you fix and build stuff. I would add head bartender and line cook to that. For all the guests? No, just you. I just travel with you. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's more on a personal just the level. Personal chef for. <laughs> that's right. I think I'm not 100 percent sure of mine, but I think it would be head of marketing and communication, 
and the CFO. I don't know if I think I'm just accounting. I don't think I make the high level financial decisions. I think I just do the bookkeeping every month. So I don't know that CFO really applies either. Well, yeah, I would say for big financial decisions, it's really a group. But honestly, I think you and Andy usually collect the information and then present it to us. And then we vote and usually lose on that front. That is not true. Well, usually your instinct, you and Andy tend to go more conservative and you're willing to spend more money to just like make sure everything's covered. Yes, that is fair. And I think Sean and I, (laughs) I think we have less money. And also with my experience hosting, I do push back sometimes of like what actually matters long term and what like. Well, and that's where it's been interesting because I have homeowners experience and, you know, we've owned two different homes over time and had to do a lot of different things at our current home. But I don't have hosting experience. And then you have all that hosting experience and you've owned a ton of different homes. But there's things where you would want to get a wood burning fireplace. And we're like, no way. We don't want to spend the money on that. But yeah, we'll do stuff to fix up the basement. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. You all, your budget for like the basement work. And I was like, is the house moving? Okay, let's chill on the basement. Guests are literally never allowed in the basement. I'm like, let's just like make sure it's fine and the house isn't shifting. And then let's spend that money on a wood stove because that impacts experience and ambiance. So for the record, we don't yet have a wood stove. But we do have a highly revolutionized basement. I don't even know what's going on down there, but it was expensive. But... I I will say working together with people then, this has been a learning of figuring out where you give a little bit versus where you hold a hard line. Because there's always, we're never, all four of us are never going to agree on where we spend our money and how we spend it. But I think we've had a lot of give and take. We cared a lot about having certain systems in the basement and we all agreed to do that. You cared a lot about the design aspect and getting all new furniture and we agreed to do that. Even though that might not have been our top priority, whereas the basement wasn't yours. But I think we can collectively now see that there was value in both of those decisions. I was trying to think of an example where they gave. I don't know if that counts. We obviously no, needed here's a furniture. Great example. No, the furniture, when we initially put an offer on this place, we all said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to try to like make it nice, but we're not going to buy all new furniture. We're going to use it was sold with the furniture that was in it. A lot of it. <laughs> not saying it was lovely furniture, but like, was there a bed? Yeah. Was there a couch? Okay, I'm putting yeah. pictures on the YouTube version of this so that you all can see that the furniture left behind was unacceptable. Okay, here's a great example. <laughs> we have two kitchen lights in our kitchen <laughs> that I think shipped from Greece and cost about $500 a pop. Okay. I can tell you Andy and I would not have prioritized that if it was the two of us. They were not $500 a piece, but they did come from Greece. I tried to hide evidence of that. Because here was one of my jobs in the process. Janice ordered all of the things and they shipped to my house. And so every day the UPS guy and I became best friends. Every day he had at least five to six packages and I had to inventory all of it, open it, Mark it off on the And he'd be like, ooh, four lights from Ireland today. And then the next day he'd be like, today's lighting is from Greece. Ooh, very cultural. And you would be like, is it really? I had nothing to do with this. (laughs) It was quite entertaining. I'm also going to put pictures of the after so that you can see that it was worth it. And it is absolutely beautiful. And every time we walk in here, we are in love with the look of it. But it's just different priorities. It's not necessarily how we would have done it on our own. But I think that's where each of us brought something different to the table. And it's a beautiful end result. I know. It is beautiful. And we 
and we really enjoy it. But I do wonder in this location, if I brought to this one, some of my, when I was designing Cozy Rock, we were very intentional. We want this to be high end. We want this to be really nice. That was just like from the beginning because it was small. We were like, we can do it in a small one and a half bedroom place. We can really splurge on the furniture and the art and all of that stuff. But then I look at the guests who came to this camp before and then after, and they, they're they like, we loved it before, and now it's even better. And of course it's better, because you should see the before and after. But the <laughs> core, my core takeaway from that is we loved it before. It's not actually about the furniture. It's not actually about the lighting. And so sometimes I do wonder. And long term, because this is our place, I still think it was worth it because we're happy here. But sometimes I do wonder when thinking about decorating just rentals in general, when we go, we're too convinced by Instagram and other places that you need the best of everything versus like actually when it comes to guest experience, how much does that matter? And especially in places that have the draw of like a waterfront. Yeah. They're going because they want to be on the lake. They want a boat. They want a kayak. They don't care if your lights are from Greece or if you got them from Lowe's or Home Depot. I know. And so it is striking the right balance. And we're in a market that, one, it's not... It's not highly sought out. It's kind of a little It is niche. hidden. It's yeah. hidden. But there's also not a ton of rentals here. So no, there's not a lot of competition. So if someone cares about being on the water, they don't have a lot to choose from. So they're going to pick the one that is available. Yeah. But I do like the idea, and this was similar to Cozy Rock, when we designed it that way, our goal was always not just to capture people who were traveling to Freeport and looking, you know, for one bedroom, whatever, but to capture people who found Cozy Rock and then came to Freeport, right? Mm -hmm. And so I do think that was never our goal for this one. And honestly, that's evident by how much time I spend on this Instagram, right? Like I I never spent a lot of time on it because that wasn't the goal. But it is interesting to see people who've been to Cozy Rock so then found out about this one come to Sebec Lake for the first time. And I do think that design matters there a little bit more. And come back. We've had repeat yeah. guests that yeah. found this because of Cozy Rock. The power of marketing. And yeah, and that is beautiful. I loved that. We've had guests who came to Cozy Rock twice and then came here Mm -hmm. and then another guest who i actually don't think she's been to cozy rock but she's been here with her family twice probably because i think she likes to travel with her family because she follows cozy Rock. that's right because cozy rock is really meant for couples and this one can sleep eight people Mm -hmm. and so it's meant for family so i do think there's folks who probably follow cozy rock and then find this one and they're like great i can come with my family and so i do think those people after following that account would expect, and I do want to keep it a little bit brand consistent, that you come to another one and you're like, okay, this lives up to it. Mm-hmm. And and that makes it a little bit trickier. But I just think in general, if you're thinking about your first rental, if this were our only rental, I sometimes wonder if like the level of design we put in would be necessary. I don't regret it, but... When you're doing a normal big box reno, you know, you get your, your countertops and your faucets and your lights from wherever you can that's cheap and fast. But we did this not only as a rental, but it's what we wanted. So that's when you you step it up to the lights that we, like, you know, these lights are going to be the same lights that the boys are using when they're bringing their kids here and we're the fuddy-duddies. That's a good point. We never, none of us have really thought about this property as a just rental investment type property. We have thought of this as it is a family place that will stay in the family for a long time. And we're renting it out right now as a means for giving us the opportunity to own something like this because we wouldn't do it otherwise because of that cost. Yeah. 
And and I do think to share because I do love hearing more so here than any of my other rentals. I think I love hearing people discover Sebec Lake mm-hmm. or being able to experience it here because I remember growing up that was one thing, especially like in high school and college. Mom was always really encouraging of us bringing our friends up here. And that was the first time senior week of high school. We didn't go to the beaches of New Jersey like a lot of people did. We brought four of our best friends up to camp. And that was the first time I ever got to share that space with someone else. And even on our wedding, doing it in Freeport and then doing a lake day a couple days before and having a lobster bake here, having my friends, one of them just texted me today and said, hope you're having fun at the lake. And she's been here. Like she can see it. She has experienced it. So I do think that sharing piece has always been really big specifically for this lake. Yeah, definitely. Because I do think it's a hidden gem. Yeah. And that's also how we experienced it growing up. All right. We have a couple hot topics that I want to ask before we wrap up. Um, These are things that we have compiled and have asked lots of different people from different cabins. I'm going to hit you up with three or four of them and just see where you stand on them. Okay. You ready? Cameras in a rental property. You just oh, looked at me like, like cameras. I'm what pro. do you want to know about cameras? Um, I am very much pro for cameras in a rental property, particularly when that rental property is very far from where any of us live. And this has been a huge peace of mind for me, again, being type A and wanting to make sure our house isn't burning down at any given point in time, which is an ongoing concern of mine. Or flooding. Or flooding, any of those things. We literally Um, have a camera in the basement where guests do not go just so that we can turn it on and see if there is any flooding in the basement. And guess when Janice turns that camera on? When Cheryl texts her and says, can you check the basement camera for me, please? This goes to, this was a question I was going to ask earlier, what each of our strengths and weaknesses are. And I think that really, this camera's one brings up one of my weaknesses, which is I do think cameras are important living so far away. And yet I just can't be bothered to look at them. (laughs) And this is where I have one rental property versus you have three, four. So that makes a difference. I have heard Andy admit to looking at the porch camera just so he can look at the lake. It is true. We have such a good view of the lake <laughs> that I, I like having two exterior cameras from a safety perspective and also from a just turnover perspective. And that's helpful. Um, and then I like that we have an interior camera that always gets unplugged when guests check in. But it does give us a view and a sense of keeping an eye on things when we have periods when we don't have guests. This is a really controversial one. And I've discovered I have not found anybody else besides me slash us who have interior cameras at their rentals. And I have one at all three of them. And it's because I'm too cheap to invest in an alarm system. Actually, it started at Boone, my first one, and I tried to have an alarm system installed and they came out. And because cell service in the mountains is so bad, literally they wouldn't install it. I had like paid them to come out. We were getting ready. And so I was like, well, what are my options? And he goes, I just put a camera up so you can see. And I was like, okay. And Do then, you find a lot of people have alarm systems in their rentals? I feel like that would cause more problems I than I think benefit. it would too. In retrospect, I think it would too. But this was when I was living in Durham and my house was broken into a lot and yeah. my insurance was about to kick me off and I had to be like super careful about yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. And so I went with the interior and at that time we were having like service people come in and out and I'd just be given the lockbox code out left mm-hmm. and right. And I was like, how am I going to keep myself safe here? And so I just put one big camera, not big, <laughs> one camera up high that got that main <laughs> living room, same size as all the other on ones. The inside yeah. of that. <laughs> and at least when people came, I would tell them, here's the lockbox code, there's a camera inside, like, and then they always knew and I felt like there was some accountability. Yeah. 
And I've always kept it because the other pieces, monitoring checkout when you're not there, how do people feel like they need to check out on time? And in nine years, I've had like two late checkout incidents and literally they were by 15 minutes, like not by a lot. And I think it has to do with the cameras of just that's a way, plug it in when you leave. It's on our list of checkout things. But it's interesting you mentioned that because now that I think about all the Airbnbs we've rented... There's never been interior cameras no. that we have to unplug. There's often exterior cameras. Yeah. And it never, it doesn't phase me. It doesn't bother me. I think the only people it bothers are people that probably are maybe doing something that they shouldn't. I know. I'm so torn on this because no one else does it and it seems to be strong opinions, but we've never had a single complaint from guests. They all unplug it. Honestly, yeah. I wouldn't even know if they didn't because like I said, I'm really bad at checking them. But it gives me peace of mind that, like, if I want to check how much snow we got outside, that's not interior, but, like, and honestly, Cozy Rock, we probably could get rid of it because we have, it's been 100% occupied, so it's, like, basically unplugged all the time. Like, this one's not in the winter, and it was really, really cold, like, negative 30 degrees, and we were worried about freezing pipes. We were able to see through the thermostat temperatures, but we could have that interior camera if, like, there was water. That's right. If and we did burst. look, I did look at it then because that was a scary couple of days where in all of our rentals, pipes were freezing and like it was yeah. so cold and we did look at it. So it really does give peace of mind when you're far away. It just, yeah. It, and definitely for me, it's peace of mind. Yeah. <laughs> pet friendly is on the list, but I think we know where. Go ahead. Oh, What's boy. your stance on pet friendly? Well, so I'm highly allergic to cats and dogs. So my, I actually don't rent any places that are pet friendly. Um, because my son's allergic as well. And just even though they're cleaned really well, there's buildup of dander over time. So we are not pet friendly here because of that. I also have the impression that when it is pet friendly, it just invites more damage to the property. But that being said, I know I've read a lot about people that are pet friendly and they say kids do more damage than pets do. So she means by I've read a lot. She means I've read a lot of Janice's posts on pet friendly rentals. That's what she means. No, I follow a few other Airbnb accounts that on Instagram and they've mentioned it. Yeah, there's one. She owns like, I don't know, 25 or something properties, um, mostly in the Arizona area, I think. And she'll You have like about... a secret Airbnb Instagram follower life? Yeah, totally. Who who are these other... I'm getting ready to take over hosting. Who are these now. other Airbnbs you follow? What is she called? Airbendy or something? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I follow her. Yeah. yeah. And she'll post about that. Okay. Who else? Um, I don't remember their... Is it called handles? Is that what it's called on Instagram? An Instagram handle, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember what they're called. But weird when you think there's a world that you're so deep in and then you're suddenly like your best friend follows people that you don't even know about in that world and you're like, what? What What am I missing out on? Who are these people? But having two kids myself, I definitely understand that kids can do damage and do it a lot quicker than animals can at times so it is hard you've made me aware of that other perspective of like allowing dogs does make i mean it is cleaned every time and i love our cleaners so but you still don't know how much of that is fully gone and people have severe allergies like they just and yeah so as much as making it pet friendly then opens it up to people that want to travel with their pets it also closes it closes it off to a portion of people who can't travel because of allergies to places like that now granted who knows what the numbers are there's probably more people wanting to travel with pets than those who have severe allergies that couldn't rent i've literally never thought about the people with severe allergies despite the fact that you're my sister that's very interesting 
until just now. Because yeah, yeah that I would f- be. No. When I filter, when we're looking for places, I intentionally filter to say like no pets. And I always filter to say pets only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, last question. What makes a cabin a cabin? And do you think that all camps are cabins or is a camp, <clears throat> is there sometimes crossover? Do you think our camp is a cabin? I don't think of our camp as a cabin. I think of cabins, if I were to think of the ways I kind of define it in my mind, one, I always think that they're in woods, like Mm. surrounded by pine trees and big trees and wooded areas. So I don't think of them often on waterfront. Proximity Mm -hmm. Proximity to woods. There definitely can be really rustic cabins, but I think of camps as more rustic than, um, than cabins. And in my mind, whenever someone says cabin, I always think like, log cabin (laughs) so i always think there's like it's made out of wood everywhere and has this like very naturey feel to it um which i don't think a lot of other places that you wouldn't call a cabin have that feel to it so what makes our camp not a cabin the fact that it's not it's set in the forest yep it's not there's no trees like we're sitting in front of it right now and i like see one I mean, there's trees around us. And behind us there are, but we're not like in the woods. You're not worried about any trees falling on your camp. That's for sure. Whereas at Cozy Rock, there's a couple big ones where I'm like, there are a bad storm. I'm a little nervous. Well, and to me also, it does have to do with the design. And I think some of ours, it's not cabin design in my mind, but that's just Mm. how I've always thought of The interior design or the house design? Both. Yeah. Both. Um, And the interior, I think of the old school traditional like cabin. It can still be like really nice and upscale and more modern, but like your, your plaids, your hunter green, yeah. your, your rounds. Mm. Yeah. And not lights from Greece typically. Okay. Okay. Let me define these lights from Greece. Cause they're not like fancy extravagant. They're like very simple. What? Like round white bulbs, frosted glass with a wood base. Yeah. I, guess I would say I maybe cabiny. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe a little cabiny. I mean, there is wood inside the camp, but I, it has a more house feel to it. And I think that also has to do with the exterior to a degree as well. Yeah. Yeah, It's a more, um, you know, rectangles and squares type shape. But that's what Cozy Rock is. No, you have a lot of triangles. And we think oftentimes if you ask someone in Maine what a camp is, it is a summer cottage yeah it is not four seasons you can stay there from like maybe mid-may through like mid-october at most but i think that was important to us to have this one winterized because we both live so far away obviously summer we knew we wanted to come up but we loved the idea that we could come up for a christmas or this could be a house where we all meet that isn't one or the other hosting but like we're just spending time together at our house and we know there's people who ice fish and snowmobile up here. Right. So there are some, I mean, and honestly, from a business perspective, if there aren't many that are winterized, great. Let's create one good option. Right. Yeah, it is interesting, the overlap of all of them. I really want to make a visual Venn diagram of like camp, cabin, A-frame, house, and cottage. I do think cottage needs to go in there because there's mm-hmm. some similarities. But so much of it that I hear is like place and feel and that more than it is the actual house. Yeah, definitely. And I think so much of how each of us individually define that just goes based on our history and what we've experienced. And a cabin to me is different than a cabin to Sean because where we visited right. and experienced growing up. But yet, if you were to think about cabin culture and camp culture, I think there's a lot of overlap there. A lot of mm-hmm. 
And I really was reminded of that when talking to Tyler, um, just about, cause his, I mean, I mean, from pictures, his really does feel like a cabin on a lake. It is surrounded by trees and it is in the woods. And so then it does create more overlap there of the location, but the vibe and the culture feels similar. Fire is about to go out. Well, this was a lot longer of a chat than I thought it would be, but hmm. I'm grateful that you spent an evening up at camp, sitting around the campfire and joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was awesome to be here. Sean, we'll go more in depth with you on previous episode. <laughs> at, we're going to film it next week at Cozy Rock, but I think it's going to air first. And if not, well, then you'll be hearing that later. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you heard, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or share some of your favorite parts over on Apple Podcasts and a review. If you have any suggestions for guests or feedback, you can always find us on Instagram at Cozy Rock Cabin and The Chalet Frame, spelled C-H-A-L-A. See you next week, and thanks for joining us.